0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. If you're new with us or have been with us for years, I invite you into this important conversation that we're having as a church. It's it's a conversation that we've been having, actually, since the the days of conception of our church. Uh, For the last eight years, uh, when we first met in a living room and started to talk about what God would do in Marana and Tucson, uh, through a church plant, we're continuing that conversation, and I'm so thankful that the, that the content of that conversation has not changed. It's really a conversation around our calling. Uh, what has God called us to as a church, as a people? What has He called us to do, called us as, as, as uh, husbands and fathers, mothers and friends and neighbors and workers? What, is, what does God desire of us, and how can we be faithful in, in what He's called us to? And once you know your calling, once you know what God's called us to, it gives you such a great sense of confidence uh, that, that you can say yes to the things you know you need to say yes to. It gives you confidence you can say no to the things that you need to say no to. And you can start to you can live your life in, in ways that, that are in God's leading. Um, everything we say yes to as a church, everything we say yes to uh, as, as family members, as workers, you may not realize it, but it, it flows out of, out of your sense of what you believe is right, what you feel that God has called you to do. And, and that's the one, two, three that we've been talking about. Uh, as we've been, we've been having this conversation about one, two, three. This is our, our calling. We are one church with two services, living out three callings, living out these goals, these callings that God has placed on our on our life. Um, we're called to magnify God's glory by, em- by embracing his gospel and resting in what he has done for us. We're called to live as, as, as his people by, by pursuing authentic relationships with one another and connecting our lives to the lives of other people. And we're called to engage in God's mission um, by serving our communities in, in, in the world through faithful witness. These are our three callings. These are our three goals. Uh, they're, they're mounted on the top of our door as you walked in. They're, they're, in, in, ev- they're in our bulletin. They're in every, everything that we can give to people. We say this is who we are and what God has called us to. We want to get better and better and better at doing that. And, and these three callings are really, they're really one calling, uh, to declare and demonstrate the glory of God. The series just didn't sound the same. One, two, one. So one, two, three. You know, but really, these three callings are one calling lived out in three different ways. Our one calling is to sing the praises of God, to glorify God, uh, to honor Him, to live for Him. And so, for three weeks, we're going to talk about this calling um, as God's church and as His people. I hope that it will direct your life. I really hope that it will um, empower you, encourage you, convict you, convince you. Uh, of, how, of, of how God desires you to live just as individuals, uh, what values he has called you to as Christians, um, and, and also how to join us as a church uh, as we pursue our calling. And so we're called to connect people to God, to connect people to one another, and connect people to their communities as faithful witnesses and so part one of three we 're just going to get into this what connecting people to God would you go to your Bibles if you have a Bible with you would you open up uh, to god's word in first Corinthians chapter nine we'll be reading from there this morning first Corinthians chapter nine um, what a this is a great passage that talks about uh, paul's pursuit of of how to connect people to God and his motivation and his his practice and his reward that he seeks uh, for connecting people to god we're going to read in, in starting in verse 19, chapter 9. This is God's word. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This passage, in fact, all of chapter nine in First Corinthians really is about Paul talking about how he's making adjustments in his life in order to make the gospel more accessible to people that he encounters. Paul is talking about and even defending his life as he makes adjustments, core adjustments to, to what he involves himself in and, and the people he, uh, the company he keeps, the people he hangs out with, all for the sake of making the gospel accessible to more and more people. He speaks about becoming all things to all people, that by all means I may save some. And verse 19 is really the thesis of of the calling of a follower of Jesus. Verse 19 is to connect people to the good news of the gospel, to connect people to God. And he says in verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And it's easy to look at this and say, wow, what a great pastor, what a great missionary What a great person who has felt called to full-time ministry. That's a great calling for somebody working in the church. And in fact, this is not just the calling of Paul as an apostle or a missionary or a full-time person on staff at a church. This is the calling of every every follower of Jesus. To, To know what Paul means by when he says, I'm free from all, though I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. This is our calling as people every Christian. And so let's walk through these three parts together. If we want to connect people to God, we must do three things. First, we must know the scope of our freedom. Paul says, though I am free from all. What does that mean? Though I am free from all. What a, what a mentality to have. Imagine, no need to people please, no anxious living as to wonder what the future holds, no people or situations that I need to control in order to bu- boost my self-esteem. No inner turmoil as a result of past regrets and, and decisions that we have made. No, no finding yourself in just the you know, kind of a dungeon of your own sin and feeling just regret over those things. No need for self-preservation or pretending to be better than you are. That's what Paul is saying. He said, I am free from all. I don't answer to anyone. I am not... No one... No one tells me who I am. I have freedom to do whatever it is that God has called me to do. You see, this is what the gospel does. The gospel welcomes you into a new life where our sense of freedom does not come from our ability to control our lives, but freedom that comes from the fact that we are accepted and adopted and loved by God, not based on our character or our record, but on the perfect life and work of Jesus Christ for us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the relationship that we have been given by God's grace through Jesus Christ and his work for us. And Paul looks at that and he says, I am free. I have contentment. I don't have anxiety as to worrying about what people think of me. I don't have to act in such a way so that they'll like me because God likes me. He has given himself for me. It brings freedom in her life. It's the opposite of the, the Janis Joplin kind of freedom, if you, know, if you know the reference, right? If you don't know it, it's a song from the 70s that was made famous by Janis Joplin. And it's a story about a girl who's lost everything, right? She's lost everything, car, home, money, possessions. She's got the shirt on her back and she's just walking. She's lost everything and she looks at her life and she says, this is freedom. Freedom is just another, another word for nothing left to lose. That's what she says. And then along comes Bobby McGee, right? So this guy, he drives by and and picks her up. And she has this relationship, and she's glad for the relationship. She's thankful for this friendship. They go on adventures together, and then Bobby McGee just one morning wakes up and leaves. And she says, fine, better for me. Now I'm even more free than I was. No relationship to be tied down to. Freedom. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. I lose my home, now I have less responsibility. That's freedom. I lose my possessions, less things to worry about. I lose my relationships, less people to please. Freedom, unhindered freedom. There's two ways to pursue freedom. One way is to lose everything that weighs you down. Lose all your responsibility. Don't answer to anyone. Lose your bills, your obligations, your relationships. That's one way to pursue freedom. The other way to pursue freedom is not defined by what we lose, but by what we gain the kind of freedom that's found in the grace of God. This is the kind of freedom that Paul has. He is not free because he has unhindered himself from everything in life. He is free because of what he has gained. Paul says, I'm free not because I've given up on life, but because I have been given abundant life. I have been given the riches of life. I've been given the riches of heaven. I have everything that I could possibly need in abundant measure and it can never be taken away. That's the basis of my freedom. That's why I'm able to engage in relationships and that's why I'm able to proclaim the gospel freely and not worrying about how you receive it or what you might think. I've been accepted by God, by his grace, so I don't have to look for acceptance through people-pleasing or through pretending that I'm better than I really am. I don't have to control my life because I'm in God's hands and he's in control and He has promised that I will remain in the care of his hands and so I don't have to try to control my life. I don't have to fight for my rights and my privileges on earth because I've been given everything. And even though I might find myself where those rights and privileges are infringed upon and it brings great discomfort, I know that those discomforts are only temporary, for God is good and he will take care of me, he will provide for me. Imagine that kind of peace. Do you have that kind of freedom in your life? The kind of contentment, peace in your life. What it does is it loosens your grip on needing your life to play by your rules. It makes you generous. It makes you sacrificial. It makes you compassionate to the needs and cares of others. Because you can lose. You can give. You can sacrifice because you've gained everything through Christ. It makes you look beyond your own interest towards the purposes of God in the world and say, I can give my life for that because to lose my life is to gain my life in Christ. If I have God and his love and acceptance, then everything can be taken away. My reputation, my health, my friendships, my, 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 uh, my impact in the world. Everything can be taken away. And if I have Christ, I still have everything. That is Paul's freedom. And if we want to be passionate about connecting people to God and relationship with God, we need to know that freedom. We need to rest our life on that freedom. Paul's peace comes from from what he has been given by the grace of God, and it's the foundation of all that he does. It's the foundation that leads him to say, and therefore I'm going to be a servant of all people. That's what leads him to say, I'm going to live as, as servants. That's the radical second point in this passage to live as servants Paul says I've made myself a servant to all he elaborates on this a little bit he fleshes out what it looks like to be a servant to all people he says to become all things to all people when he's with Jewish people he submitted himself to the law observed their laws and practices even though he was even though he was not under that law even though he was not himself under the law. When he was with Gentiles, he would seek to build bridges, but in all ways being under the law of Christ. When he was with weak people and despised people, he would give up his earthly comforts in order to gain a window into preaching the gospel into their life. Paul is defending himself. He's saying, I have become all things to all people. And this isn't an excuse for license. It's not saying, well, we can do anything in our ability as long as we are seeking friendship with others. There was this one of my favorite rappers. Sorry, I know that's a weird way to start a story. Um, he, he stopped being a rapper and became a pastor. Uh, and he felt called to, to those under substance abuse and drug abuse. And he said, I've found that I, have, I can speak more into a window in their life when I'm high because I can gain reputation and things like that. That's not what he's talking about. Right? You're like, oh my gosh, where is he going? <laughs> As one under Christ, he says, I, I am not under the law, I'm, not under the law. I'm, under, I'm under Christ. I am free as long as it does not infringe on the law of Christ. I'm free to do whatever I can in my freedom, by any means possible, to remove obstacles to preach the gospel, as long as I'm not dishonoring God. And that's what he is saying. And people criticized him for that, because he was, when he was with the Jewish people, he would seek to build bridges with them and observing their law, even by saying, hey, I'm doing these things, but, I am not, but I'm not under this law, I'm under God's grace. And when he was with Gentiles, he didn't observe the Jewish law, and he said, I don't have to because I'm under Christ, I'm under grace. When he was with weak people, he said, I can give of my possessions, I can become as weak because I, am, I have everything, because I'm under Christ. Paul is showing us that followers of Jesus are to live and act in ways that are different from the way we would naturally act if we did not have his grace. Do you understand this? Paul is saying we should live and act as the, in ways that are opposite, in many ways, that are opposite of the way we would naturally act just left to ourselves. Let me ask you, if you, were, if you were not made free by grace, if you did not have the promise of God, the acceptance of God, the adoption by his grace, if you did not belong to him based on his good work, what questions would you ask before making decisions, big decisions in your life? How would you go about your life? Maybe here's some. You may ask the questions, how will this, how will this affect my life? How will it affect my way of life? Will, it, will, will this set me up for success or won't it? Does this hurt the bottom line? Is it absolutely necessary? You see, you'll ask these questions, how will, this, how will people perceive me if I do this action? Will this make me more comfortable or less comfortable? And then you'll make decisions based on that, how it impacts you. Now here's the scary thing. Is it possible that you are a Christian and you're still asking questions like that? Is it possible that you are a follower of Jesus, you have received the grace of God, and these are still the primary questions in your life? How will this affect me? How will it hurt my bottom line? How will it affect my comfort? What will people think of me if I do it? These are questions of a person who who do not understand the grace of God. The grace of God transforms and empowers us to replace a consumer-driven mentality in our lives with a life together mission out of love and community. Paul is so satisfied, he is so filled with the fullness of God in the love of Jesus Christ, he's able to lay down his own rights and privileges in order to make the gospel accessible to as many people as possible. So much so that Paul even says, I am in, it's in my right and privilege as a pastor to take a salary and to ask people who I am ministering to to pay me for that ministry. That's in my right. But Paul says, but I don't do it. I have my own job that makes, a, makes income and generates income so that no one will ever accuse me of doing it for the money. That's what Paul says. Let me remind you that the gospel is not just for non-Christians. We are not only saved by grace and by the gospel, but we grow in the gospel. We grow according to grace. We become more and more like Jesus as the, as the gospel is applied to our life. As we realize our freedom and embrace that freedom we have. The gospel transforms and empowers Christians to, to lay down our consumer mentalities in exchange for a life together in joy and love and on mission with others. How do you get there? How can we get there as as individuals and as a church? Think of the analogy of a a soup kitchen for a minute. Imagine a soup kitchen. Maybe you've volunteered in a soup kitchen before. Maybe Maybe you've been blessed by a soup kitchen before. Imagine after a full day of feeding the homeless, the poor, and the hungry. You hang up your apron and you say, what a wonderful day you take a big sigh and everyone has gone just the volunteers are left and you say what a what a fruitful day what a great day look at the people that came in hungry, and we fed them for free they came and they had nothing and we fed them and filled their bellies and they left satisfied let's do this more you know what, let's do another soup kitchen on the other side of town. Let's try to grow this. Let's try to knock down a wall and make our soup kitchen bigger. Let's go from five, from five pots to ten. Let's get more volunteers. Let's try to advertise and, and, and put in money into marketing to let people know in our community that we're here to bless them, to feed them. And one of the volunteers comes forward and says, you know, this soup kitchen means a lot to me. I remember I was one of the first people here. I remember when it first started. It was just three employees, a couple volunteers, a couple pots of food. Maybe 10 people were fed every week. It was relational, it was intentional. You knew everyone, everyone knew your name. It felt safe, it was friendly, it was comfortable. I'm afraid that if we grow, I'm afraid that if we expand, I'm afraid that if we add another one, that we'll lose that feeling of, of that, that, the relational aspect. I'm, I'm afraid we'll lose the things that really I love about this soup kitchen in the first place. This person doesn't understand the purpose of a soup kitchen. What they are describing is a social club. What they're describing is a a support group, not a place where hungry people come to eat for free. And they've lost their calling. They've lost the meaning of why the soup kitchen exists. The church ought to be a soup kitchen that gives away free food to hungry people who can't afford it. Using this analogy, the church ought to be a place that offers the good news of Christ free of charge. It is free for us. That doesn't mean it's free entirely. It costs a great deal. It costs God everything. In giving his son, it costs the life of Jesus Christ. But we come as hungry people saying, I need to be satisfied. I want to be satisfied. I long for purpose and meaning in my life. I long for calling. And then the church ought to say, here is a banquet. Feast on it. Well, what do I need to give? Nothing. It has been given for you. Eat to your desire, to the fullness of your desire, and go away satisfied and come back and eat again. Come back and renew this, this joy that you have. You know, maybe the way I'm describing this freeness of the gospel has, has, has made you feeling a little confused. You know, the gospel means good news. It, it's news in that it's a message that needs to be proclaimed and broadcast and, and told, the message is that God is good and he created everything that we see and even those things we don't see. He, he creates man and he calls man to trust and obey him. And man and woman lived in harmony and pure love with God, but they didn't trust God and ultimately they believed the lies of the devil. And as a result of this, a result of this the, the harmony they experienced with God, with one another, and with creation was broken, bringing spiritual, relational, and physical death. And thankfully, the story doesn't end there, in their destruction and in their death. God spoke a promise to put an end to that curse. At great expense to Himself, God would save us, He would rescue us. And Adam and Eve failed, and generations after them failed, and you and I fail every day. But God's plan did not fail, and it will not fail. He would remain faithful to His plan. Through His promised Savior, the world would be blessed, the curse would be broken. And Jesus is that Savior. It's on the basis of his righteousness and life and death and resurrection that we have a relationship with God, that we are made new, that our relationships are restored, that creation is redeemed. Jesus came and he he overcame death, and all those those who believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection go from having Adam as their source of life to having Jesus as their source of life new life through the life of Christ. And it's because Jesus laid down his rights, it's because he laid down his privileges, that we are made free, that we are made made new and forgiven. It is because Jesus had this mentality that even though he he had the glory of God, the honor of God, he did not see that as something to be grasped and held onto. But the Bible tells us in Philippians 2, he gave it up willingly he gave up his rights and privileges to his own glory humbled himself became a man died on the cross for you it's not just advice the gospel is not just a way to live if it was just a way to live it was if it was just good news It would sound something like this. Jesus did all this work for you. Look at the wonderful work that he did for you. He he loved you so much that he died on the cross. Therefore, show your appreciation to this God who is so good by doing all that you can to work for him. Change the way that you live so that he's pleased by your life. And, And maybe and hopefully one day at the end of your life, by doing all of this good, you will have proven that you love him so much. And by your effort and by your good work, he will welcome you into life eternal that's really bad news. That's not encouraging at all, at least not to me. I've already failed at that great advice. It's not good news. Paul says we have good news. We are made free by the grace of God. We live in this freedom and it empowers us to give of our lives to others because everything has been given to us. Sheer grace, his sheer mercy, undeserved favor. And so Paul says, because of this freedom, because I don't have to live for the praise of others, I can serve them, removing obstacles to get the gospel into their hearts and into their heads, to get it into their hands to understand. And I'm going to do everything in my power to do that. And finally, Paul aims for this reward. He shows us here, not just does he live out of this freedom as a servant to others, but he has a focus. He does seek a reward. He aims for reward, that's our final point. Let me show you the radical mindset of Paul. He said, his greatest reward was knowing that there was nothing he was doing that hindered anyone from knowing Jesus. This is so ridiculous what Paul is saying. So people are criticizing Paul. And they're saying, okay, you don't take a salary from what you're doing. You, you, you're, really, you're not trying to please the Jews or the Gentiles or the poor or the rich. What's in it for you? Why do you do this? And Paul says, you know what's in it for me? Here's my greatest reward, knowing that there's nothing in my life that is creating a barrier for people hearing the gospel. That's his payment, he says. I'm enjoying this so much, and I believe in this so much that my greatest joy in life and my greatest joy would be for you to enjoy it too. And if you do, then then I'm rich I'm rich in that. I've gained that reward knowing that I have have not hindered the gospel for reaching your heart. Do you love anything that much? My goodness, do you love anything that much? Is there anything in your life that you would say, my greatest reward is for you to enjoy this thing that I'm enjoying? That's my greatest goal in life. Do Do you love anything that much? I see it in a little ways and my wife at, 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 when we go out to restaurants. She says, oh my goodness, you have to try this. You have to try this. And I say, if I wanted it, I would have ordered it. You know, but She says, no, but it's so good, you have to try it. And I see this, this joy. What would make my reward is not in me consuming this, but in you enjoying it with me. Okay, I'll take a bite. Yeah, I still don't want it. no. You know, so, <clears throat> different tastes. Do you love anything that much? That you could actually say, I will die for this, and my greatest joy... And payment of it all is not that I would gain but that you would you would enjoy it too Jesus loves you that much you need to see this this is how he loves you he loves you so much that his greatest joy is you knowing that love his greatest joy he would lay down his life for you he would lay down his rights and his privileges for you that he would become all things for you Even human not just a human but he would even become a murdered human despised rejected he would even take upon himself the full unhindered blunt of of the wrath of God in all of his anger towards sin so that you can enjoy what he enjoys do you love anything that much he loves you so much that he would do everything to remove the barriers to his love that is exactly why he came to the earth not to just give you an example not to tell you how to live he didn't even come to judge and he didn't come with a sword he came peaceful loving sinners because you and i have no access to god otherwise there is no way that you and i can enjoy a moment with God or a moment of God's blessing without Jesus giving up everything. It's the only way. And so it's exactly what he did. Relationship was his goal. Sharing life with you was so important to God that he would send his son to die in order to be in relationship with you. Will you get this if you get anything today? Will you see that? Well, that, that allows you to live as free. It allows you to live as servants to all. It allows you to give generously and sacrificially, knowing the scope of which God gave to be in relationship with you. Paul says this, he says, I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. You know, this is a good verse, and I'm glad it's there. Because otherwise I might look at this and I look at Paul's enthusiasm and I might see this as a leader myself and someone who wants to do a good job at my job. And I say, wow, Paul is just, he is just throwing himself at his job. Paul is burning the candle at both ends. Paul is, is restless in his work. Paul's a workaholic. He's saying, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. My job description, Paul, apostle, job description, whatever it takes. And that's the kind of person I want to be. But then there's something that Paul, he kind of switches it up on us. He says, my aim is so that I can share with them and it's blessing. We see, wow, Paul is not a workaholic. Paul is not frantically engaging in spiritual activity just and hoping that someone will believe in Jesus. Paul's motivation and aim is, I am, I'm fueled by a desire of relationship with you because this relationship I have with God, you can have it too. And that means if you have it, then we have a relationship together. And that is so good, so beautiful, worth dying for. I'm going to give my life to that. Paul says, I'm going to give my life so that you can know this. You know, we're, we're talking about our calling. We're talking about our goals as a church. And in the context of this two-service multiplication goal, is it, is it more biblical to have one service or two services as a church? It doesn't matter. We're not commanded to have one service, we're not commanded to have two, we're not forbidden, we're not prohibited to have two, we're not prohibited to have 10. We could have 100 100 services with one person in each service. We're allowed to do that. Actually, let's do that. No, Uh, is that okay? (laughs) Volunteers, is that okay? So we are free to choose. We are, we are free to choose. We should choose the option that makes the gospel most accessible to others. We should choose with a motivation that moves beyond our own interests towards the purposes of God in the world. As a way of serving people, in a way of getting this gospel in as most hands as possible, if we believe that we are doing something good as a a church, if we believe that the gospel is being fed, if we believe that hungry people are coming and feeding on this and leaving satisfied, we should get as many soup kitchens as possible in this town. We should do that because we believe that we are being faithful to God. And if one service doesn't allow us to do that, or if it creates a barrier to doing that, we should go to two. We should be motivated not by the structure or the program or what it appears to be, wow, two services. That means that we're a growing church. We should be motivated not by any of that. Those are not primary motivations. Primary motivation, we're giving away free gospel that changes lives, how can we get this as many hands as possible? Let's tell as many people as possible. Because we're free to do what we want. We want to be servants of all, and we want to share in this relationship with others. Each week, I'm gonna ask you to participate with us as we pursue our calling to magnify God's glory. As we pursue our calling to proclaim the gospel together, to share in its goodness together, to feast with one another, and then to participate in serving others so that everyone is satisfied and nurtured and transformed by this good news. It comes in the form of worship. I'm going to ask you to participate with us as we worship God with one voice, as we lift our voices, as we come under the teaching of God's word, as we pursue relationship with others, getting connected in community and life groups, as we engage in sacrificial participation in God's purposes in the church and the world. And so I want to invite you into that. It's this full, holistic, and all-encompassing life together, motivated by love in community with one another. Each week, I'm going to ask you to participate with that, to get on a team, to volunteer, to volunteer not, and not asking yourself, well, what will maximize my comfort? What will, what will please me? But instead, what will, what will allow me to, to participate with the gospel happening in this church, changing lives, feeding people, satisfying people's hearts. Two services is sustained only by the, that sacrificial, generous attitude of so many people. Kids ministry, hospitality, tech, worship, backup kids ministry, hosting a life group, so many other things, greeting at the door, being a friendly face, welcoming visitors, all of these things our ways of of looking beyond our own interests towards the purposes of God in His church and in the world. Should we lay down our life? Should we lay down our comforts? Should we lay down our privileges in order that more and more people can be invited to the table where they are fed with the gospel free of charge? We shouldn't let anything stop us. That's why we're going to two services, is because we don't want anything to stop us from doing that. In fact, shame on us if we do. That's what Paul says. He says, woe is me if I don't do this if I don't preach the gospel if I don't give this free meal woe is me if I don't do whatever I can if I don't remove any barrier he is saying I should be shamed if we don't have this motivation in us it, if I've enjoyed this goodness and not share it with others woe is me so church I invite you into that I invite you into that conversation each week I will it just as I don't want it to be a surprise I'm going to be asking you, would you volunteer on a team? You can do that. There's a a card out on the welcome table that looks like this. The green card, and on the back are all these ways to to volunteer, all these ways to join a team. If you're not in a team, think about what you're good at. Think about what you would enjoy. Even ask us, hey, I'm, I'm open, I'm available. Where do you need me most? And we want to help you do that. And together, we worship God. We participate in His work here in our church. We magnify His glory together. We are one church with two services, living out these three goals together. Let's pray.